Uh, Let's come and ask God for his help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice that our Lord and Saviour has risen from the dead. Our Lord, it's easy to go through the motions of Easter and fail to really appreciate the goodness of this truth. Help us now to focus and in the busyness of the Easter weekend to meditate on the goodness of the resurrection as it's described in your word. Help me to preach your word with uh, faithfulness and apply it thoughtfully as I ought. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. Uh, They are the wonderful words of Mark 16 that you just heard read out by Sean. The very first Easter morning is described in Mark's gospel as glorious, overwhelming, and world-changing. Yet the picture of Easter described by much of Aussie society in 2022 is somewhat different to that picture, isn't it? If shopping centres and ads on TV are anything to go by, the glory of Easter is not so much found in the resurrection of Jesus, but in long weekends barbecues, chocolate, eggs, and bunnies. I think it's fair to say that at this point in Aussie culture, Jesus has been somewhat uninvited to his own weekend celebration. I noticed this also when I had to drop into my children's school recently, and as I walked kind of past the art room to the office, I heard the art teacher telling the children, kids, not everyone really follows Easter, so... What we're going to say today is happy bunnies. And that's what we're going to write in our cards too, happy bunnies. See, why is it that the real message of Easter gets so easily pushed to the side in our culture? Why is it that so many of us Aussies uh, seem to be more willing to embrace a happy bunny than we are a resurrected Jesus? Now, I'm sure that there are different answers to this question, but if I had to postulate an answer, I'd give kind of three reasons. Skepticism, confusion, and therefore indifference. See, there's skepticism. I'm not sure I can really believe in a resurrection. There's confusion. I'm not sure how it really all affects me, and that all leads to indifference. I'm not sure I've got to do anything with it. But it's not just the world out there, is it, who views the resurrection of Jesus like this. I suspect many of us who are Christian, people who have been in church for many years, have also struggled with some level of doubt, some level of confusion, some level of indifference to the resurrection of Jesus. So today I want to show you how God's work speaks in to that skepticism, confusion and indifference of our world to the resurrection. See, God is telling us in his word today that the resurrection of Jesus is historically true, unthinkably good, and actually therefore demands a response from each one of us. We cannot be indifferent to it. So let's jump into the first point. The resurrection of Jesus is historically true. Now, I know that for many people in our world, that statement is simply too difficult to accept. And I understand the skepticism because all of our experience of death tells us that when someone dies, they generally stay dead. And so for many people, the suggestion that Jesus did rise from the dead 
sounds about as credible as the Bigfoot sighting or the Loch Ness Monster. But for Christianity to stand, the resurrection of Jesus, that is the physical rising of his dead body, has to be true. Without the resurrection, any talk of forgiveness, eternal life, the hope of heaven, all of that collapses without the resurrection. As Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, truth matters to Christianity. History matters to Christianity. Uh, That's why you may have noticed uh, in our reading that Mark, the uh, gospel author, is so precise in this passage about all the kind of little details of the resurrection account here. Uh, What the women were doing that morning, where they were going, what they were saying to each other, how they reacted. See, Mark is simply reporting the facts of eyewitness testimony of something that happened at a real point in history to real people. Let's just go through how Mark describes uh, that first Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday again. From verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. Uh, They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed, as of course you would be if you suddenly came face to face with an angelic messenger in a confined space. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Uh, Mark's gospel makes the huge claim that Jesus Christ, who three days earlier had been killed on a Roman cross, had risen from the dead. Now, at this point, I want to speak to those of you who are feeling a little bit sceptical about this claim. Now, there may be one or two of you here who are listening who will be quick to dismiss uh, what Mark records here simply because, well, you don't believe in miracles, which obviously includes the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, The famous Oxford professor and atheist Richard Dawkins once said in a debate with a Christian professor, these words. He said it all really, quite really, comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. It has a fundamental incompatibility with the sophisticated scientist. Uh, you can't be a sophisticated person who believes in science and hold to the resurrection, is basically what he's saying. I think many people are in that camp. Many people are quick to dismiss the resurrection because it just seems so contrary to science. But it's important to remember that actually science doesn't tell us what can happen, but what does happen in normal circumstances. See, in normal circumstances, it's an undeniable fact that people who die stay dead. That's how the world has always worked under normal circumstances. But what if at one particular point in history, the circumstances were abnormal? What if, as the Gospels all state, God entered into our world in the man Jesus. At that point, it actually becomes reasonable to think 
that different rules, different laws might start to apply. It becomes reasonable to think that God-like things might start to happen. A virgin birth, water into wine, calming of the sea, and yes, even resurrection from the dead. See, if the Almighty God stepped into our world, you would expect things to be different. Now, I say this not as a knockdown argument for any skeptics among us, but just to show that science doesn't have to rule out the resurrection of Jesus. But there are more reasons to believe that Mark's claim here that Jesus rose from the dead is true. I'm just going to quickly go through four. Uh, the first is that this account that we've just heard read has all the hallmarks of historical authenticity. You see, it reads like a document committed to telling the truth. So you take, for example, Mark's record of the three women being the first to discover the empty tomb. That might not be a big deal to us, but in the context of first century Palestine, a woman's testimony was considered unreliable. In fact, a woman's testimony would be inadmissible in a court of law at that point. Uh, no one who wanted to make up a convincing account of the resurrection in that time and place would have dreamed of doing it in this way. And this shows us that Mark, along with all the other gospel writers, were actually committed to telling the truth, even when that truth butted up against cultural norms and values. But second, the body of Jesus really had gone from that tomb. Mark is clear that the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty. We heard the angel say he is not here. And you see, even Jesus' enemies at the time had to admit his body had actually gone. They could never produce the body to help dismiss the resurrection claims of early Christians. But three, there were numerous resurrection appearances. See, if you only read Mark's gospel, you may not realize this, but the New Testament records many people on different occasions encountering the resurrected Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes of more than 500 people seeing Jesus alive at the same time and points out to those he was writing to at the time that many of those witnesses were still alive. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't something supposedly witnessed by one or two kooky followers but hundreds of regular people who had nothing to gain from lying about what they claimed. Which leads to the final piece of evidence, the transformation of Jesus' disciples. You see, Jesus' disciples went from being cowards who failed him in his hour of need to being courageous people who would actually die for their conviction that he had risen. Uh, these were not men who had shown themselves uh, as people willing to die for a lie. I mean, at the time these women were at the tomb, they were in hiding. They were completely afraid. It was only when they saw Jesus raised from the dead that they found their courage, that they preached that message of Christ crucified and risen and were then, by and large, put to death for their faith. Now, there's more that can be said on this, but... I just offer these points to show you that what happened on that very first Easter Sunday actually did happen. And all of us, whether we are Christian or not yet Christian, need to see that the central claim of Christianity deserves to be taken seriously. 
I think for most of my life, I just accepted what my parents had taught me about the resurrection. And that's actually not a bad thing. But when I moved to Melbourne, I wanted to know for sure that there was actual credible basis for believing that. Uh, Two things helped with this. One was simply reading through the gospel accounts for myself. And the second was finding some other helpful resources that actually spoke to some of the evidence of the resurrection. One of the most helpful books I've ever read on this topic remains The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. You might want to have a look at that yourself. But that's the first thing. The resurrection is historically true. But it's not just that it's true, it's that it's good, unthinkably good, which leads to our second point. Uh, I've had the privilege of leading um, our Christianity Explored courses through uh, the last two years, and what's been good about it is actually given me a little bit of an insight into how at least some people in our community uh, commonly think about Christianity and the kind of core uh, message of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I'm increasingly of the opinion that for many in our society, the resurrection gets pushed to the side at a time like Easter, not simply because people think it's fabricated, but because they simply don't see how it helps them in any real way 2,000 years after the event. But in the Gospel accounts, you see how the resurrection of Jesus is unthinkably good news for us at a personal level. It's good news because it proves that Jesus really can give us what we most need in life, forgiveness of sin and the hope of resurrection after we die. That is the unthinkably good news of Jesus' resurrection. You see, during Jesus' life, he had told his disciples that in order to save people from the punishment of sin, to bring them into relationship with God, he would have to give his own life as a ransom for them. We heard about that on Good Friday. In Mark 10.45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. But Jesus had also taught his disciples that his resurrection, rising to life, would be the kind of vindicating proof that his death had actually done the job of saving people who trust him. Three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples that he would rise again after becoming a sacrifice for sin. And so in Mark 8, we can read, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. See, the resurrection shows that Jesus' promise of forgiveness through his death on the cross was legitimate. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, like he said he would, well, that would show him to be completely deluded, full of good intentions, big promises, yet totally ineffective to save us. He'd be like a kind of wannabe lifeguard running into the surf to save a drowning person, only for both himself and the person he was attempting to save to drown in the process. As Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, without the resurrection of Jesus, things are actually unthinkably bad. You're still drowning. There is no forgiveness of sins. 
And that's actually a terrifying thought that we would have to front up to the holy God without a risen saviour. All our selfish acts, all our thoughtless deeds, wicked thoughts, still requiring the just judgment of God. Uh, Someone who knew this far more than anyone else was the Apostle Peter. Uh, You might recall that the last time Peter gets a mention in Mark's Gospel is when he betrays Jesus three times in his hour of need. If anyone was afraid of fronting up to God to be held accountable for sin, it was Peter. You see, he knew he was absolutely covered in shame and guilt and deserved condemnation for what he had done. This is why we're told in Mark chapter 14 that he broke down and wept after that spectacular failing. And yet did you notice that in our Bible passage that Sean read earlier, that the angel of God calls out Peter by name. After the women are told that Jesus had risen, the angel then tells them to let the disciples know and singles out Peter. But go, verse 7, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now I think this little detail is wonderful to read. See, it tells us that because Jesus has risen, even the likes of Peter now have the hope of God's forgiveness. Even he is called to go to Jesus. I think that is unthinkably good and gracious. Uh, It's wonderful news for those of you who actually feel the weight of your sin, who are grieved by your spectacular moments of failure. In fact, it's good news for all of us because God's word tells us that we have all sinned. We have all ignored God, rebelled against him in our hearts. We all deserve his judgment. And yet the resurrection tells us that we have the hope of forgiveness on that last day. Like Peter, we are called to go to the risen Jesus and find our cure for sin. See, the good news of the resurrection is that it guarantees our rescue from sin, our forgiveness. But it also guarantees our resurrection from the dead. That was the other wonderful and huge promise that Jesus gave during his life, that death would not be the final say for his followers. Jesus said he would raise them up at the last day as forgiven people fit to live in the kingdom of God. For it is my Father's will in John 6 that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, Jesus promised. Jesus' own resurrection proves that this promise will come true. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says again that, because, uh, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that is, Christians who have died. See, Jesus' resurrection is like the first tomato that you pick in summer. Uh, that first tomato was a sign of more tomatoes to come. God wants us to look at the resurrection of Jesus and think, 
more of that is coming, coming to us if we trust him. Uh, There are two competing good news stories at Easter. You have the world's good news and God's good news. Uh, The world says uh, the good news of Easter is that you get that long weekend, you get your family catch-up, and you get lots of chocolate. God's good news is that uh, Easter, God's good news of Easter is that forgiveness of sin and life from the grave is now guaranteed because Jesus has risen from the dead. Do you know that unthinkably good news of the resurrection? Uh, but finally, the resurrection demands a response from us. Uh, we can't be indifferent to it. Uh, in Christianity Explored, one of the videos we show speaks about an experiment conducted by a London newspaper. They got a person to stand out outside Oxford Circus Tube Station offering people a leaflet. Uh, on the leaflet was the free offer of five pounds. All you had to do was bring the leaflet back to the man and he would hand you the cash right there on the spot. Uh, masses of people just passed by this guy And in three hours, only 11 people came back for the money. Uh, Most assumed it was just junk advertising and didn't take it. Or if they did take it, they simply refused to believe what was written on the leaflet and just kept walking. And so many missed out on a genuinely true and good gift. A God is telling you uh, not to make the same mistake with Jesus this Resurrection Sunday. Don't fob off this Easter. Uh, Don't fob off the Resurrection this Easter. It's true, it's good, and it actually demands a response. We need to stop and consider it. And it certainly gets a response from the women at the tomb, doesn't it? They respond with astonishment and trembling at the news of Jesus' Resurrection. But the the passage kind of leaves us hanging a bit, doesn't it? Verse 8, we're simply told that they went out from the tomb because trembling and astonishment had overwhelmed them and they said nothing to anyone uh, since they were afraid. Now, in many ways, we're kind of left asking at this point, the end of Mark's gospel, what did they do next? How did they continue to respond to the news of Jesus' resurrection? Uh, The way Mark finishes his gospel seems abrupt but I think it's deliberate. It's like he's getting his readers to think seriously about what, his, uh, what they should do next, these women, and even to put ourselves in their shoes and ask, what would I have done with that news of Jesus' resurrection? What will I do with it now with the knowledge that Jesus really has forgiven my sin, destroyed death, and can raise me from the dead? What will I do with that news See, the women's fear and astonishment show us that the truth of Easter Sunday demands a response from us. It can't be shrugged off or ignored or traded in for a cheap substitute like the Easter bunny. And so I'd like to finish by suggesting two ways that I think God is actually wanting us to respond to the resurrection this Easter. The first way is to respond with a dependent trust The second is to respond with confident hope. So first, God wants all people to respond to the resurrection of Jesus with dependent 
trust. Uh, This is the kind of response that sees the truth of the resurrection and the unthinkable goodness that it brings and simply says, yes, please, Jesus. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again. I believe you can forgive me and give me life too. Not because I deserve it, but simply because you are gracious. Uh, As Neil mentioned earlier, we've just had our children's holiday program, GSF, last week. And throughout the program, we looked at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And on the last day, I had a grade one boy ask me this question, if uh, Jesus got old and died after he was raised to life, uh, did he just become like everyone else after that point and just get old and die? It's a pretty good question. And so I explained to the boy that after Jesus was raised to life, the Bible tells us that he went up or ascended into heaven never to die again and that he still lives in heaven today, able to forgive us and to raise us up from the dead too to take us to be with him in heaven if we trust him. And the boy simply said in response to that, oh, well, I trust Jesus It was actually a lovely display of dependent, simple trust. Trust in Jesus alone to do what is necessary to save. Now, maybe you're not a believer here this morning, but you are convinced that Jesus died and rose again to save you. Well, I actually think take a note out of that boy's page and respond like he did Uh, to what Jesus has done for you, with simple and dependent trust in the crucified and risen Saviour. But maybe you're not at that point, that's okay. Maybe you'd like to just find out more, investigate things a little bit further. Well, actually, that's great too. And we have, as Neil mentioned, a Christianity Explored course starting up in a couple of weeks' time. You might like to come and join us in that course and think about things in more detail, ask some more questions. But that's the first thing, dependent trust. The second response to the resurrection is directed to those of you who, in one sense, already trust him. And that is to live your life with confident hope. You see, the resurrection changes everything for the believer It means sin has been defeated. And as Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory because of that. This allows us to look at our lives in a kind of whole new light and live with a whole new confidence. See, what do you do when you're grieved by the thought of past sins in your life? Well, I think you remember the resurrection and take heart that Christ really has achieved your forgiveness on the cross, and made you acceptable in God's eyes. The resurrection proves that. Well, what do you do when you feel anxious about all the acts of sin and wickedness that you sort of see displayed on the news? Well, you remember the resurrection and take heart that Jesus, the just judge, was not left in the grave, but was raised up and will return to bring justice. Uh, What will you do on that day when your doctor says those words that so many others before us have heard? I'm sorry, it's terminal. 
Well, you remember the resurrection and take heart that you too will be raised to eternal life, never again to experience sickness, suffering, death or tears. How has the resurrection of Jesus changed your hope and your confidence in life? Uh, Over the last six months or so, I've been clinging to the truth of the resurrection uh, more and more as I've watched my father, who is a believer, slipping uh, slipping further into advanced dementia. As many of you will know, dementia is a, a very awful disease, and it's been difficult to see Dad deteriorate in such a way and just ultimately kind of forget who I am. Now, outwardly, dementia is really a kind of picture of hopelessness. Uh, There is no cure, there is just deterioration. But for the believer, the resurrection turns this hopeless situation on its head. And you see, that's what I remember every time I go and visit my dad. The resurrection guarantees that his experience will one day be completely reversed. For he will be raised like his Lord with a renewed body, a renewed mind, and actually together we will glorify our risen Saviour. See, it's wonderful to think that God's powerful act on the outskirts of Jerusalem in the kind of first century Palestine radically changes the circumstances inside a dementia unit in Australia in 2020, isn't it? But that's the kind of transformative hope the resurrection brings to people. I pray that we would all remember the life-changing hope of the resurrection this Easter, that it's historically true, that it's unthinkably good, and that it demands a response of faith. Uh, Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have acted in history to bring our Saviour back from the dead. Thank you that the resurrection now guarantees that we have forgiveness of sins and the hope of resurrection life ourselves. Our Lord, if there are any here this morning who don't yet know this unthinkably good truth, please help them to put their trust in Jesus today and help us all to live in that confident hope that flows from the knowledge that Jesus lives. In his name we pray. Amen.